Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, August 27th, 2020, as we are streaming live on Mixer.com slash Sox Machine and on SoxMachine.com. I appreciate you joining us as there's a lot of good news surrounding the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito threw a no-hitter. Jose Abreu hit another home run. And the White Sox swept the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they are 19-12. and Cleveland won their series against the Minnesota Twins, and now all three teams are within a half game of each other for the American League Central lead. Things are good for Southsiders, finally, which has been a long seven seasons. This weekend, Kansas City visits a team that the White Sox swept earlier this season, so the good vibes should continue to roll. We are going to get to those topics. I promise you we will. However, there is a strong chance that the Chicago White Sox may not play their Friday night game against the Kansas City Royals, which because of the shortened season is also Jackie Robinson Day a day to remember the all-time great who broke the color barrier. August 28th is also the 57th anniversary of the Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. The White Sox may not play Friday nights because professional athletes from the WNBA, the NBA, the NFL, and Major League Baseball are not partaking in games or practices to protest the shooting of Jacob Blake, a black man by Kenosha, Wisconsin police officer Rustin Chesky. Amid the protesting in Kenosha this week, 
white 17-year-old male Kyle Rittenhouse from Antioch, Illinois, is captured on video shooting three people this week, killing two. The weapon is an AR-15, a weapon that has been commonly used in mass shootings across the United States. Rittenhouse left the scene without arrest from Kenosha police officers and was later arrested by Will County officers the next morning at his home in Antioch. Currently, Rittenhouse is in juvenile detention waiting for extradition to Wisconsin as he's been charged with six crimes, including first-degree intentional homicide. In Wisconsin, first-degree intentional homicide carries the potential of life imprisonment. The the juxtaposition between how Kenosha, Wisconsin police officers dealt with Jacob Blake and Kyle Rittenhouse is jarring. Players in the Milwaukee Bucks prior to Game 5 of their playoff series with the Orlando Magic released a statement demanding that Wisconsin legislators reconvene and take action to protect citizens from police brutality. The athletes and teams who have refused to play or practice in the last 48 hours are demonstrating their support of that cause nationwide. This is going to be the new normal. In the past, sports has helped distract this country from the bad news. But athletes are getting fed up, and they are using their platform to call out the injustices of our society. We, as fans, have to accept that. Yeah, it'll be disappointing if the White Sox don't play Friday night. I'm loving the appointment viewing White Sox games have become and interacting with everyone on Twitter and on Sox Machine. It's been a great distraction from the crappy 2020 we are living in. This year sucks for everyone, and the White Sox are doing a lot to make it not suck so much. But if Tim Anderson is upset and frustrated because people that look like him are getting shot by police officers all too frequently, if Lucas Giolito publicly supports his fellow professional athletes to protest this violence, and if the entire Chicago White Sox clubhouse decides to stand in solidarity to voice their displeasure of what has happened in Kenosha, Chicago, and other parts of this country, they have that right. They are not jesters. Our entertainment can wait a night. Because things are not getting better. And they are not getting better because in this country we do a very good job of ignoring issues hoping they go away. They never go away. So if Tim Anderson decides to not play Friday night, and if his teammates decide to support him and not take the field, you know why. It doesn't matter if you support them or not. They have a platform and they are making their voice heard in a way they know best. I think it's worth listening to them. With that, I introduce the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And Jim, you wrote about this topic today on SoxMachine.com. It's obviously a very delicate situation in baseball. Some games are postponed Thursday night. Some went on. It's pretty clear some players, like like St. Louis Cardinals pitcher Jack Flaherty, are upset that games are even being played. There are There's a lot of speculation what happened in Queens between the Mets and the Marlins. What are your thoughts regarding what has transpired around professional sports and Major League Baseball's role in the last 24 hours? Well, you know, with Major League Baseball, uh, the way it unfolded and the White Sox got done with their series with Pittsburgh, basically like just, you know, maybe I want to say within an hour of the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, doing their boycott or wildcat strike of the NBA postseason and then, the other uh, NBA teams fell in line and WNBA uh, joined them and you know, just kind of spread across sports. And the White Sox, you know, were, I think, uh, I wouldn't say fortunate, but just the timing of it uh, was just such that the White Sox avoided that decision. Like it hadn't come up, it, you know, no team had spurred it in action. 
So when you know it spread across sports, and you, know, you had the Cubs and Cardinals, and and just uh, these teams uh, about to take the field as uh, the 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 boycott, the strike becomes more than the Bucks, it becomes a, a you know a sports wide uh, occurrence. That uh, you know some tough decisions are had to be made, or or decisions had to be try to come to on the fly, or do we play? Where we've just gotten ready to play, we're in the mindset to play. Do we not play now? And it was a little bit messy, you know. And he had some awkward situations, like with the Cubs, where Jason Hayward sat, but he urged the rest of his uh, you know teammates to play, and they did. And with the Cardinals, Dexter Fowler was the only one to sit out. All the Jack Flaherty joined him, but Flaherty wasn't starting, so you know it wasn't like he affected plans. You know, Dom Smith. On the Mets, he was the only Met to kneel. And then afterwards, you know, he talked about it on, on the Zoom conference call with reporters and was, you know, in tears and, and just expressing his frustration. It was just, it was messy, but, you know, it was understandable why it was messy just because it, it caught everybody by surprise. And I wouldn't expect everybody to handle it. Perf- I'm not even sure there's a way to handle it perfectly. Um, but it, it's just a way of like, you know, everybody seems to be dealing with it in real time. And, uh, you know, it's understandable why some teams might come off looking insensitive or, you know, just there, there, there's reasons to explain it away or, or, you know, just to allow everybody some time to understand the scope of what they're dealing with. So, you know, I, I guess given the situation, given just how baseball typically isn't like the NBA, you know, NBA is very star driven. Uh, the players have a lot of power. Specific players have a lot of power. You know, Major League Baseball has been very team oriented, very buttoned down, very, um, you know, respect the game and, and, and don't show it up. And so it's, you know, it's very much not in line with baseball's culture to do something like this. So I can see it being uh, something that is awkward and messy and, you know, maybe incomplete just because, uh, depending on the composition of the clubhouse or geography, just, you know, some teams may not be moved enough to sit. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of, you know, where I'm at right now is just, uh, you know, teams are going to deal with it the way teams are going to deal with it. You know, as long as they're not being, you know, jerks about it. <laughs> I think everybody's been very respectful. Like when it came to, you know, the Brewers who are, you know, very closely related to Kenosha and, and with the Bucks, you know, you know, solidarity with them. Uh, the Reds, you know, who weren't maybe independently moved to do at the time, just gave the Brewers their space to do it and, you know, didn't try to get a forfeit out of it or anything like that. Just said, nope, we're not playing. You know, they, they, everybody's been respectful about it, even if they don't, you know, if they're not all reacting as strongly. And I think that's, I think, maybe the most encouraging thing for me. I would say on the discouraging side, I think the lack of leadership from the top you know rob manfred was caught on a hot mic or brody van wagenen was caught describing what rob manfred thought was a good idea with some kind of uh, walking in the field walking off then playing an hour later like trying to stage it and van wagenen was very frustrated it, it was uh you know it was that was awkward and just it, it seems like the league is not wanting to deal with it as a league entity so you know teams and players are having taken their own hands and that's why, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of different responses. And I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't make villains out of any players in clubhouses because, you know, like, say the Mariners, they played or they, they sat yesterday, they played today or uh, against the Padres. And, you know, considering they have, uh, you know, double digits of African-Americans on their roster, you know, whereas some teams are, you know, fortunate to have one, uh, you know, I'm not going to second guess them. I'm not going to second guess their conversations and what they decide. It's just going to be, uh, uh, you know, it, it's going to be individual decisions made by every team. 
And uh, yeah, I, I think just you hope that you know nobody throws a match on it and it doesn't seem like anybody has the urge to. Everybody's trying to give it the space and time to breathe and figure it out. And uh, I guess ultimately I'm encouraged because I think no matter what, it's just going to be, it's going to be awkward. This is pretty much unprecedented. Uh, you know, maybe Martin Luther King's assassination was the one, you know, maybe something like it to where, you know, the league was slow to, uh, you know, stop the season and, and, and uh, or pause the season and, and, you know, give the, uh, you know, tragedy that the time and space needed to work itself out and, and just, but when it comes to just the big picture, I think it's going to be slow and awkward and unwieldy. And I, I think if you expect that, then I think ultimately I'm, I'm more encouraged than discouraged with the way everybody's working it out publicly. Speaking of Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball did release a statement regarding as far as the strategy of the Mets and Marlins and the commentary from New York Mets general manager Brody Van Wagenen. Uh, the commissioner is stating that over the past two days, players on a number of clubs have decided to not play games. I have said both publicly and privately that I respect those decisions and support the need to address social injustice. I have not attempted in any way to prevent players from expressing themselves by not playing, nor have I suggested any alternative form of protest to any club personnel or any player. Any suggestion to the contrary is wrong. So in New York media, obviously they are eating this up right now because it's the Mets against the commissioner's office and with the Mets for sale and soon we'll have a new owner. It is suggested that Brody Van Wagenen will not be the GM lawn. So with his public apology to the commissioner, some are suggesting that he's just trying to save face so he can get another major league baseball job uh, after the season. So the Mets being the Mets in a really critical time on uh, for the league. And again, if you just look at the scoreboard right now for major league baseball, it is odd Jim, because you have, you have some double headers going on the Mariners, Padres, Dodgers, Giants, Reds, Brewers, Pirates, Cardinals. They play double headers today. Everybody else in the league is taking the game off. And it appears that that is the strategy right now for all of the teams is to take a game off to reflect on what has been happening, especially in recent events in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And as you mentioned, the White Sox are the team that hasn't had that opportunity. And as I said, as far as the intro, I can't blame them if the White Sox decide tomorrow that we're not going to play Friday night, even though it's Jackie Robinson day, we're not going to play. We'll play a doubleheader on Saturday, but we want to take the opportunity to make our voices heard and draw attention to what has happened in Kenosha. And I can't blame the White Sox if they want to go in that direction, Jim, as that's been a direction that almost every other team has taken so far. Yeah, it, like you know, like I said, it's just it's a situation where I think every team handles it differently, or or might discuss it differently, and I think. You know, watching all these teams wrestle with it, and and you know, some some more smoothly than others, or or some clumsily, like with the Cubs. Uh, you know, they they Jason Hayward sat out, and, and David Ross said that he was basically in tears talking with Hayward, but somehow didn't you know summon the rest of the team to uh, you know join him in protest. And you know, that's a case where I think you know um, you know some managers just might you know, especially a guy like Ross, first season, no experience in a non-playing capacity in a dugout, just you know, it's not a situation where you really come across uh, being in charge of 
28 guys to, uh, you know, make an executive decision like that. So, uh, everybody is just trying to figure it out. I think, you know, watching them go about it, you know, Matt Kemp and the Rockies, that was another one along with Fowler and the Cardinals, just whatever the White Sox choose. Um, and, and I think they're in a unique position in which, you know, they only have one African-American on the roster and, and Tim Anderson, but, you know, Kenny Williams is, uh, one of the rare African-American executives in the game. So mm-hmm. he's got a strong voice. And I think, you know, maybe with a day off and the White Sox, you know, at home that they can just, you know, gather as an organization to figure it out that, uh, you know, I, I think they've had enough time to decide. <laughs> and, it's, and really it's not, you know, me to judge, it's just me to write about it and and and, and try to understand. And I think all I, you know, wa- watching the various things unfolding, I think the only ones that are bad or wrong or just not thought out are the ones where one guy is sitting. Uh, like if Tim Anderson happened to be sitting and the rest of the team played that I think just sends the wrong message, which is just like, well, it's your thing to figure out. Yeah, I mean, that's not what they're, I'm sure that's not what they're thinking, but that's mm-hmm. just what the actions say. Like, okay, we'll, we'll play, uh, we, you know, we'll be business as usual. And then you sit with your feelings. Uh, and, and you know, they might do a thing too, or just like, uh, you know, Tim Anderson told us to, you know, that we should sit. So we're all doing it. Like try to take it. Yeah. You know, try to, I guess, come together as a team, even if the demographics are such that he's, you know, outnumbered and you, or he's the only one out there, uh, who's, you know, fits that exact description of, of the, uh, racial injustice we're talking about, but it's just, uh, yeah, it, I just don't want to see him singled out or anybody singled out. I just want it to be whatever they, they do. I hope it's as an organization, uh, because I think if everybody's on the same page, everybody has a chance to talk it out. Everybody has a chance to come together and, and discuss all their options and feel comfortable hearing, you know, what's on the table and, and what's, what needs to be done, what needs to be said that, uh, you know, I guess they've had enough time to where you just have to trust whatever they come up with unless you hear otherwise. Lucas Giolito made his voice heard this morning when speaking with White Sox reporters. This is from the article from James Fegan in The Athletic. Quote, what, what went down with Jacob Blake in my mind? That's unacceptable, said Giolito. That shouldn't be happening in a developed country. A man getting shot seven times in his back. That just shouldn't happen. I don't see why that's something that happened, why it has consistently been happening for a long time. That's how I view it, and I know that. And for some reason, the way that everything's going, my opinion on being unacceptable is going to be politicized when it shouldn't be, end quote. Uh, That's how Giolito feels about the situation. Tim Anderson is one of the active and former black Major League Baseball players that make up the Players Alliance. And that alliance has decided that they're going to be donating their salaries on August 27th, which the White Sox were off today, and on August 28th, which is Friday, and that's Jackie Robinson Day. Those players are going to be donating to the Players Alliance, supporting their efforts to combat racial inequality and aid the black families and communities deeply affected in the week of recent events. If you would like to learn more, you can visit theplayersalliance.com. So that's what Tim Anderson has already been committed to. We haven't heard from Tim Anderson yet. I am sure we will hear from Tim Anderson tomorrow as the White Sox decide whether or not if they're going to play. I know in the past, Tim Anderson has spoken how important Jackie Robinson Day is to him. So I I feel like it's 50-50, Jim. Like the White Sox could play 
to honor Jackie Robinson and the White Sox may decide not to play. We'll see what happens. Uh, But as far as the moving forward for Major League Baseball, is it just these last couple of days, Jim? Or do you see this opportunity for players getting their voices heard about this situation in Kenosha? Because again, this is going to happen again. Do you feel like there could be another potential stoppage later this season? Well, you know, hope there isn't just because, I mean, something terrible happened. But, you know, with the NBA and, and you know, before the postseason or the, the playoff bubble happened with the NBA, um, you know, some players, uh, I think Kyrie Irving was leading that block of players that said that, you know, we don't want to be a distraction right now. Like, we, you know, we're just going to be cordoned off in a bubble. And, uh, you know, should something happen, we're not going to be able to be part of it. We're just going to be, you know, playing games for people's entertainment. And George Hill uh, said the same thing after uh, the, the stoppage yesterday, after the, whatever you want to call it, the strike, the, the, the boycott. But said the same thing yesterday, like, you know, something to the effect of, like, I don't know why we're here. And it strikes me as like just kind of a natural um, escalation of responses because if you just like put the game on pause every time something like this happens and it just becomes a rote acknowledgement of an event like and, and then you just you know move on um you know like when, when the george floyd protests happened at the start of the season they had black lives matter blm on the mound to for opening day and then the next day they have you know guaranteed rate logos and ford and uh you know just all these uh, like roman just all these uh you know non- uh, you know, they're just very corporate um, advertisements, like nothing happened. And I think just if you get into a mode where the response to uh, every subsequent event is always the same, just like, okay, time to pause for a game or moment of silence, uh, black wristbands, uh, BLM on the mind, just, you know, just go through the same motions every time. Then it just becomes like, well, uh, you, you see a headline and think, well, I know it's going to happen in baseball, you know, like, or, or vice versa. Like you see the players wearing black armbands in a baseball game. Like, Oh, I wonder what happened. You know, it's going, going to be that kind of just acceptance just because uh, it becomes part of the, you know, the, the I don't want to say routine, but just, it's, it's going to be like, just accepted. Like the, that's why I think when it comes to, you know, the NBA players just realizing like, okay, we can't just keep, you know, having one game off or just, you know, one, you know, just having a protest or kneeling or wearing t-shirts during shoot arounds just because it's been done before. Nothing's changed. We need to do more. And I think that's what it keeps coming back to with, uh, you know, NBA players trying to decide like how far do we need to go this time to try to make change happen. So that's what, that's what strikes me here with baseball is like, you know, baseball doesn't have a history of this being this politically engaged. And I think they're going to be kind of lagging behind, but I think it's going to be breaking new ground and depending on what happens and yeah, it's hard to tell Well, I think we're in unprecedented territory and state of the country is as such that, you know, like just reading about extreme decades before, like, you know, in the 1960s or like saying the you know, post-civil war reconstruction, just all these horrible uh, developments that happened or all these horrible environments, many environments around the country happened because just things had broken, you know, society had broken down as such that, you know, um, injustice and, 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 uh, you know, people's taking, uh, being taken advantage of was the norm and you can't, it's hard to imagine it until it happens. And maybe this is happening now that you don't know what it's like when you're actually in it. And you only really see the scope of it till you take a step back. So 
it's uh you know it's it's messy and uh, I'm just yeah it's not my place to say what they should do um it's just my my place to listen and write about it and 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 uh, and just kind of just be a witness to it I suppose that's really all we can do because it's it's tough it's uh, and there's no perfect solution. And I think that's what frustrates a lot of people is like, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you sitting for this game? It's not going to change anything. Why don't you put money towards it? Yeah. And putting money towards it hasn't helped. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just you know, words alone haven't helped. So maybe economic and, you know, more in your face pressure is necessary. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about this. So it's, uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I may be uh, stammering a lot, but just because it's tough, it's tough. I, I'm with you, Jim. It is a tough situation, and we'll see what the White Sox do. Again, at this moment, we don't know for sure if Friday night's game will be played. Again, it is Jackie Robinson Day. So if the White Sox do play, everyone is supposed to be wearing number 42 in honor of Jackie Robinson. If the White Sox decide to not play, I'm just encouraging fans to not get upset with that decision. It's a decision that's been made across the league the White Sox have not had that opportunity yet playing a Wednesday afternoon game and then the decision came Wednesday night and then with them being off Thursday they other than Lucas Giolito really haven't been able to make a statement yet while the rest of the league has been in progress so we'll see what happens on Friday whatever decision is made by the Chicago White Sox and the Kansas City Royals regarding Friday night's game. We will be covering that on SoxMachine.com. And you can follow us on Twitter as well at SoxMachine. Something to note, if the White Sox do postpone the Friday game, they were already scheduled to play a 1.10 p.m. Central Time game on Saturday. So the White Sox, White Sox could easily make that a seven-inning doubleheader on Saturday and still get the three games in over the weekend. We'll discuss more about that later in the show when we look at the pitching probables when we preview the White Sox and Royals. So let's try to talk about something positive that happened this week because we did have a historical moment, and that is Lucas Giolito's no-hitter. And this has been a pretty eventful week for Giolito. Uh, Again, he spoke to the media, voicing his concerns with what has happened in Kenosha, and this is just coming days after he threw the 19th no-hitter in White Sox history. Jim, Giolito struck out 13 batters, the most in a White Sox no-hitter. His game score was 99, tied for the highest for any Wisconsin, uh, White, uh, sorry, White Sox starting pitching performance uh, in, in the entire history of the franchise, which is saying something. It was a magical night, Jim, for Le- Lucas Giolito, and it just appeared from the very beginning that he was pretty dominating the first few innings. Uh, nobody saw the second inning. Uh, but, you know, when it came to the fourth and fifth inning, for me, I kind of started to believe on, you know, I think he could do this. I think he can carry a no-hitter pretty long or deep into this game. When did you start believing that Giolito could accomplish the feat? I have a policy on no-hitters, and I don't get excited about it till two outs in the seventh inning. Uh, that guy called the Danny Wright line, uh, okay. in 2001, uh, went to a game with my brother and it was a uh, White Sox Rays, And, uh, that was the Jose Canseco year. So I was very excited to see Jose Canseco playing with the Sox. And so that was the, uh, uh, that was, that was the main draw. But when it came to Danny Wright, he threw a no hitter and it was like the most joyless attempt at a, at a no hit bid that I've ever seen. He lasted six and a third inning, but he walked seven. 
<laughs> and his pitch count was, you know, hitting triple digits, like by the, I think the end of the fifth or something like that. And fans were just like, when is this going to be over? Like nobody, <laughs> like the, there was no buzz in the stands. Just like, I can't believe this is happening. This is terrible. And then when we finally gave a hit, just people were kind of relieved. And that's when he, uh, he was relieved, lifted from the game and the White Sox ended up winning it. But I just remember that being like, at the time, the closest no hit bid I'd ever seen. And it was completely buzzless. So I've always referred to that as just like, well, I've seen six and a third and I've seen it like be terrible. So, uh, not until there's two outs in the seventh, do I start to, to uh, do my ears perk up. And so in that case, you know, got there. And so I was fully engaged. And then you look at the, the pirates lineup and just the bats they had and only Eric Gonzalez looking particularly threatening. So yeah, that's when I started to feel it. it was after the Danny Wright line passed, uh, I was on board. Yeah, if you look back as far as the at-bats, it's kind of odd that Gonzalez was the only base runner and he drew a four-pitch walk. Like, there was just those five pitches in the fourth inning that Giolito just got out of whack. He had the four-pitch walk, and then his first pitch to Adam Frazier was really right down the pipe, and Frazier couldn't do anything with it but other than hit a pretty high uh, pop-up that Anderson caught in shallow left field, and Anderson had a, a pretty funny tweet after the game that Eloy Jimenez's uh, defensive responsibility is his spot to the foul line. Anderson and Robert can cover everything else <laughs> in left field, which... I agree with Timmy. That's a great idea, and it's a great defensive strategy for the number one team in defensive runs saved right now in Major League Baseball. But it was just such a dominating performance by Lucas Giolito. And and I know there's some fantasy gurus on Twitter that were trying to downplay it because it's the Pittsburgh Pirates, and their lineup was not stacked, and they're not a very good team. It's incredibly tough, Jim, for in any environment for a major league pitcher to no hit a professional team, period. I don't care who's in the lineup. It's incredibly tough to be able to pull it off. I just wasn't expecting this type of feat to happen in 2020 because as you look around the league, we're still seeing a number of pitching injuries that are happening. And I just didn't think that anyone would have the endurance to be able to go all nine innings. And here's Lucas Giolito doing it in 101 pitches, and he might have the only no-hitter in 2020. I could see, you know, I, it's something I didn't give much thought to, like, you know, the, the question, would there be a no-hitter in 2020 before the season? So everything I'm doing is in hindsight. But I did think there was the possibility for some extreme performances just because of, you know, whether it's COVID wiping out part of a roster or uh, a team deciding to pack it in and some players opting out and just prospects who are not qualified for major league playing time getting that playing time just for rep's sake so i could see a case like say next month where you do get like uh well like say lucas giolito or shane bieber against like half a royals team to where that could happen so it strikes me as a case where you know i don't want to say i would predict it but there could be some weird record setting performances on the pitching side. I think it's gonna be harder on, you know, position player side just because they only get four at bats to do damage. It's you know, it's you you might see guys go four for four, hit three homers like uh uh like Jose Abreu did or something like that, where you you get these um just massive games. But I think pitchers, especially like say top of the line pitchers against uh bottom of the barrel lineups, I, I this season seems like one case where it wouldn't surprise me if there's at least one more or a, a few good runs at it just because uh, 
just the lack of minors, lack of rehab stints, lack of everything that allows either players to get back into shape after they get hurt or, you know, uh, you know, creates a, a pool of, you know, ready, full game action, ready talent that's, uh, you know, can step in at any moment. Now with Lucas Giolito, he has made quite the bounce back. I, kn- I remember our conversation after opening day that that performance was so bad and he has so few starts that he may not be able to recover and his opportunity of winning the American League Cy Young was probably over. He's not the favorite. Shane Bieber is the overall favorite right now to win that award. But the way that Giolito has bounced back, and if you eliminate, and again, you could probably do this for every starting pitcher and their ERA would look really good. But for Giolito specifically, if you eliminate the first inning against the Twins and you eliminate the first inning against the St. Louis Cardinals, the two worst innings that he's had in this season, his ERA is 1.5. Those two innings are almost costing him a chance to win the American League Scion in 2020. Now we have an entire second half left to go. That's not saying much. That's going to be like five or six more starts for everybody. Giolito, Bieber, Lance Lynn is also in consideration as well in the American League. Garrett Cole, of course. Uh, but right now, Jim, I feel pretty confident. He may not win the Scion, but if Giolito continues his pace increasing the intensity in his bullpen to kind of pretend that his bullpen is the very first inning of the game because that's been working in his last two starts, striking out 13 in each of those starts. If he continues this track, I don't know if he can overtake Bieber to win the American League Cy Young, but he can at least improve upon his finish last year and finish in the top three. You know, I, I think you could say one of the guys in his way might be Dallas Keuchel. So, so it's nice to see some uh, some competition from inside the house. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I think the twins, his outing against the twins, you know, not to preview two series ahead, but, uh, his next start against Minnesota, which gave him a really rough time, his first time out, that might give us an indication of just like, yeah, what progress he's made. And, and cause he's done a bit of uh bum slaying and, you know, that's all well and good. And you got to beat those teams and the white Sox certainly, you know, when you have this kind of imbalanced season, and the selection of opponents is so limited that you got to beat who you're playing. <laughs> and so if you have a lot of games against uh, lesser teams and, and, and the record is, is fat because of that, who cares? So, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, all useful and it all accomplish the same thing, all counts the same. But I think the twins, I think is when I'll be able to better contextualize exactly, uh, you know, what he's done and whether he's fixed, you know, a, a deep lineup that can, that can give him fits. I know he's conquered them before and they've beat him. So it's been a fun rivalry between, uh, you know, pitcher and team, just the extremities in, in, uh, or in performances and in, in range of performances. Uh, so I'm actually looking forward to that game a lot, even if, uh, you know, the first one made you watch it through your fingers. <laughs> the first one was a wild ride. Uh, Jose Abreu hit another home run. Jose Abreu now has 12 home runs in the season. He is currently leading the American League in home runs hit. He's one behind Fernando Tatis Jr. for the league lead. And Jose Abreu is tied with Tatis Jr. for the RBI lead in Major League Baseball. Uh, and again, Abreu is hitting 320 with a 366 on base percentage, slugging 672. So his OPS is over 1,000. Um, but also right behind... Jose is Aloy Jimenez. He's got 10 home runs now. And we, we talked about this, Jim. We wanted Aloy to be a little bit more patient, 
try to recognize the pitches that he can drive. So we're kind of seeing it's like he's piggybacking off what Abreu did. Just be a little bit more patient. Stop swinging at everything. And now Jimenez is hitting 315 with a 342 on base percentage, and he's slugging 631. And Jimenez now has 10 home runs. And I feel like, Jim, we could have a little bit of a home run race on just the Chicago White Sox. I mean, Nelson Cruz has got 11. Uh, Luke Voigt also has 11. Uh, Tioscar uh, Hernandez of the, the Buffalo Blue Jays uh, has 11. But it, it may be a little fun like a duel here between Abreu and Jimenez in the second half of uh, who could finish with more home runs. And maybe one of those two will actually lead the league at home runs. Yeah. There's probably a post in that. I know I've done it in previous years, uh, which either which player will lead the league and or which player will lead the team in home runs or, you know, depending on, on the lead, you know, which player will finish second. And it's usually both posts have been kind of depressing. Like Daniel Polka ended up winning a home run title one year, which is, you know, that was good for Polka, bad for the White Sox, I think, you know, big picture. Um, but yeah, this year is like genuine competition and legit power to all fields. And yeah, you look at, you, know, you mentioned, uh, you know, Jimenez's uh, 972 OPS and Abreu's got four digit OPS. And, uh, you know, it's partially like, you know, the equivalent of Giolito uh, beating up on some weak opponents, but also that's just how the, season goes especially like a guy like Abreu who's in the first year of a three-year contract and uh, when he signed that contract and you know it seemed like it was the product of some extreme loyalty from uh, from the very top that you don't know exactly how it's going to unfold so you don't complain about uh, yeah yeah or you don't uh, tweak or uh, knock or, or dismiss uh, the kind of production he's showing in the first year when the first year could have been you know kind of ugly and, and discouraging so uh, yeah, no complaints here. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if Luis Robert can, uh, get in cause he's at seven right now. So he's running a distant third and looks like, you know, uh, a good bet to finish uh, show, but you know, he's only one or two good, good games. He's shown the ability to, uh, well, actually probably he hit the ball hard enough to drive the ball in the field a couple times his last time out. So I wouldn't be surprised if he makes a late run at it too, just to, you know, make it a three horse race. It's just fun. It's fun to see all these home runs for the Chicago White Sox. And hopefully the home run barrage continues this weekend as the Kansas City Royals come into town to face the Chicago White Sox and uh, the Minnesota Twins and the Detroit Tigers on Thursday night. We're planning to play, but they have postponed that game and they will make that up on Friday as a double header. So again, all three teams, the Twins, the Indians and the White Sox are all within a half game of each other. The White Sox and Indians are 19 and 12 and the Minnesota Twins are 20 and 12. So this series carries some importance for the White Sox that they want to keep up with the Twins and Indians in the division because they will be facing the Minnesota Twins early next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday in a crucial series for the White Sox and Twins to see who could take advantage of the American League Central. As for the White Sox against the Royals, the pitching probables for this series on Friday, again, if this game is played, it is scheduled for 7.10 p.m. Central Time. It's going to be Ronaldo Lopez for the White Sox, who only threw 50 pitches in his last start against the Cubs, and then Gio Gonzalez piggybacked on that start. He'll be going up against Danny Duffy on Saturday at 1.10 p.m. Central Time. It is to be determined for the Royals, but it will be Dylan Cease 
on the mound, trying to repeat his last good performance against the Chicago Cubs, against the Kansas City Royals this time. Again, that's a 1.10 p.m. Central time start. And on Sunday, it is to be announced for both teams as the White Sox are pushing both Giolito and Keuchel for games one and two against the Minnesota Twins. And Jim, I like that idea a lot. You might as well have your two best starting pitchers ready for your main division rival. Do you agree with that decision to move Giolito back a day and start against Minnesota? I think it's worth giving him a measuring stick. I think, you know, just thinking about previous years when you're leveraging rotations, you know, Thinking back to previous White Sox postseason runs, which is a really long time ago, but <laughs> it's it's uh it's nice to have that back. We're talking about leveraging starters and and matching guys up and uh, trying to steal wins directly or not steal wins, take wins directly against uh, you know and games off the lead against divisional opponents, especially ones who are you know within striking distance. So. I think it's a measuring stick he probably wants and the team probably wants, and you know it's. Just, I, I, you know, given the um, unique circumstance of the season, how it's almost like a, a shortcut to contending that the White Sox didn't think they would have this year, it may as well you know, use these starts to get some pennant chase experience for you know, next year and hopefully you know, several years down the line where you know, every, every August, every September, you are making these starts. You are trying to arrange a rotation so your best face is their best or... You know, maybe your best face is their worst to uh, be able to get an advantage, but it's good experience for Giolito. It's good experience for Rick Renteria, you know, figuring out how to, you know, any kind of uh, trial and error when it comes to, uh, you know, either trying to get a, a, a bullpen game win or an opener win or, you know, a call-up win, you know, before, uh, you know, when you're pushing a, a starter back for a bigger series. It's good experience for everybody. So I like the experimenting and uh, rearranging because uh, it should pay off even if it doesn't result in a win on that day. On Sunday, the third game of the series. Again, it's to be determined for both the Royals and for the White Sox. But for the White Sox, Jim, could this be Dane Dunning again, making his second start with the White Sox? It could be. Uh, I, I think maybe they're waiting to see what Lopez does and see how far he can go and whether like Gio Gonzalez is needed. Um, you know, I wish that, um, you know, Lopez and Gonzalez would pair up all the time, you know, kind of like what they did last time, uh, two to three innings for Lopez. And then as far as Gonzalez can go with the game, um, you know, in, in good shape. But uh, it's worth, you know, given the weakness of the opponents, the you know, relative weakness of the opponent, and also given that Lopez is... Uh, you know, hasn't yet proved his ceiling for 2020 that sure just ramp his pitch count up see if he's you know worthy of getting into the fourth and fifth innings see if he can be treated like a normal starter uh give him that shot because uh you know right now the postseason chances like what are they like 97 percent or something some somewhere you know in the 90s for making the postseason at this point that uh you know they may as well try to get lopez up to five innings in case there is a rotation shortage at some point over the next few weeks so he can, you know, handle those things. So he is stretched out if he is indeed talented enough or has enough in his arsenal to get through five innings. But if it doesn't work out this time around, then I'm hoping that, uh, you know, based on what's needed from that day, you know, whether it's a win against a direct rival or, um, you know, the, the bullpen is rested enough to support him, that I hope that Renteria will, you know, entertain that option again of, you know, using a tandem piggyback arrangement with Lopez and Gonzalez because, you know, when it worked as well as did the, the first time they tried it, it makes all the sense in the world and it, it compromises the opponent's lineup so much that it's, I think, worth exploiting the rest of the season, especially while Gonzalez is still here. 
in that first game of the series, because Danny Duffy's the only confirmed starter right now for the Kansas City Royals, and again, the White Sox success against left-handed starting pitching is ridiculous. As a team, they are undefeated. They're 8-0 against left-handed starting pitchers in 2020. And as a team, they are hitting 312 with a 388 on base on base percentage, slugging 616, Jim. As a team, yes. slugging 616. They have a team OPS of over a thousand against left-handed starting pitching. So thoughts and prayers for Danny Duffy. Um, but we have seen Danny Duffy in the past pitch really well against the White Sox. And I kind of get this sense that White Sox fans, oh, it's a left-handed starter. This is an automatic win. I don't necessarily think that, but I thought that with John Lester and the White Sox blew him up. Uh, But how do you feel about the White Sox chances against Danny Duffy, a familiar foe? Well, I I think the White Sox have earned the benefit of the doubt. And and that's weird to say because they haven't uh, been reliable in a lot of ways you know maybe last year with late inning leads that was uh that was pretty fun how well they protected you know leads in the eighth and ninth inning with Aaron, uh, Aaron Bummer and Alex Colomay but otherwise you, know, you haven't really felt like anything is a given or anything's a lock even I'm thinking back to the Chris Sale years when he would have the weird stumbles against a, a pitching matchup he should have dominated but so this is very refreshing and when they're 8-0 and they're uh, just you know either in the case of you know John Lester blowing them up or you know, Stephen Brault looks scared to come into the strike zone against him, like staying away, 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 and not giving him anything to drive, and he got in trouble that way, and, and they waited him out to do damage. That was a that was a fun twist as well. So at this point, I'm, I'm all for teams throwing lefties against the White Sox, no matter who they are. And I know, you know, James Fox at Future Sox is advising teams not to face left, you know, put lefties against the Sox, saying it's a terrible idea. And I know it's a great idea. Uh, I deserve this. <laughs> we, all, we all deserve this. We all deserve this much fun. We've all seen a lot of bad baseball. So we deserve all the lopsided matchups that the White Sox suddenly can create for themselves. <laughs> I agree. It is fun. And uh, hopefully the White Sox can uh, light up Danny Duffy either Friday or Saturday. Uh, and again, we'll know for sure uh, on Friday on what the White Sox will want to do for that Friday night game. They decide they are going to postpone that game uh, as a way to protest and what's happening in Kenosha. Again, whatever we hear as far as the update, we will have that news at SoxMachine.com and on Twitter at SoxMachine. But that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. We will be recapping the White Sox and Royals series on the upcoming Sox Machine podcast that will be released on Monday. Also, a big preview against the Minnesota Twins. We're also going to have an old friend, our best friend, join the show. Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs.com will be joining to take a look at the second half projections and how Zips feels about the Chicago White Sox after 30 games in 2020 and uh, how Dan feels about the White Sox chances of not only making the postseason, which the odds are really good right now that they'll make the postseason, but how much damage the White Sox could make in the postseason. And if it makes sense for the White Sox to make any significant trades to help bolster the roster, because again, the trade deadline is Monday, August 31st. And we'll see if Rick Hahn 
Sean and Jerry Reinsdorf or Kenny Williams, if they change their stance and change their mind and they decide they want to add to give themselves a better chance of maybe winning the American League Central or who knows, go deep in the postseason and dare I say, make the World Series. It This is all odd, Jim. We've been doing this podcast for seven seasons and I'm saying words that I thought I would never say uh, after being beat up <laughs> over seven seasons. But no, it's very exciting stuff. Very exciting stuff. So again, that's what you have looked to to look forward to, and hopefully the White Sox perform really well uh, this weekend against the Kansas City Royals and keep the good vibes up. But again, that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you so much for listening to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine and on SoxMachine.com. If you don't get an opportunity to listen to Sox Machine Live live, don't worry. Every episode is recorded and uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. A PSA, if you are listening to this show on Apple Podcasts and you are having a download issue, please refresh your feed as there's been a lot of Apple users. It's just not our show. It's every podcast right now seems to be getting stuck in that platform. So if you are having problems not getting new episodes, refresh the feed, or you can send a tweet at me at SoxMachine underscore Josh, and I will try to help you sort that out. If you enjoy our work, you can also support us as well at patreon.com slash socks machine, where you get an opportunity to post questions for our guests like Dan coming up. You also get an opportunity to get some socks machine swag. So some of our Patreon supporters got our new socks machine shirts that hopefully we'll have available for everybody on the website soon. And Jim, a coffee mug update. How are we doing so far on the mugs? We're fantastic. Got plenty left, but, uh, Plenty are spoken for with $10 supporters and uh, yes, yeah, still opportunities to get in that way for cheaper. So uh, yeah, two ways you can buy it immediately on the sites or support us at the $10 tier and, uh, and get it included that way. So there you go. So a couple options on how to get our new socks machine mugs as well. But again, that will do it for this episode as socks machine live is a production of socksmachine.com alongside Jim Margulis. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. The sweet aromas of the apple fritter, cinnamon roll, and blueberry muffin are hard to resist. So making it the rest of the way home without reaching in your McDonald's bag is no easy task. But nothing worth doing is easy. Wake up and pair any one of these sweet, fluffy, frittery bakery treats with a McCafe iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.